Our Bible reading this morning is from Luke chapter 1. We will be reading the first four verses. And if you're using the Pew Bibles, it's on page 1016. We begin a, a new series of sermons this morning, going through the Gospel of Luke together. Uh, this is going uh, to be a great opportunity for us to uh, read about and to uh, look at and to study together uh, the life, the ministry, and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything we know about the life of Jesus comes to us mostly uh, from the four Gospel accounts of the New Testament uh, Luke, the writer of this gospel, was one of Paul's missionary companions and colleagues. Uh, Paul uh, says to us in Colossians chapter 4 that Luke uh, is a trained medical doctor. Uh, he is a physician. And Luke, as we will read, is writing uh, to a man named Theophilus, uh, who uh, by his name appears to be a Gentile man from the nobility, a man of a high rank. Uh, his name uh, means beloved of God or one who is a lover of God. Uh, this is what his name uh, means. So let us uh, read those four verses together. Luke uh, chapter 1, uh, reading from verse 1 to 4. But before we do that, let me pray for us. Gracious and loving Father in heaven, your word uh, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So we pray, Father, that as we uh, read your word and hear your word preached to us, that you would teach us. We pray, Father, that you will help us by your Holy Spirit to apply it to our own lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Uh, Matilda is uh, only five years old. Uh, this is her first year of school and she has loved every minute of it. She has made new friends. She has learned lots of new things this year. And she thinks the world of Mrs. Collins, a school teacher. And Mrs. Collins has announced that there will be a special Christmas day at school and Matilda is absolutely excited about the whole idea. Matilda loves Christmas. Uh, this is one of her favorite time of the year. She has even started making a bit of a Christmas list. Uh, her mother has assured her that she has received confirmation from Santa that her name has appeared on the nice list this year. Matilda is relieved. Uh, because she knows that she hasn't always been nice and that sometimes she's been quite naughty. And so she's glad to hear that her name did not appear on the naughty list. And this year, Matilda is even more excited about Christmas because Mrs. Collins, her teacher, has chosen her to participate in the school Christmas drama. 
But after the first rehearsal, Matilda came back home a bit upset and a bit sad. And so her mother asked her, Matilda, what's wrong? And Matilda answered, Mom, is Santa real? It appears that there was a bit of a discussion among the school children at some point, and in that conversation, uh, Matilda started to have some doubts about whether Santa was real or not, and that made her very upset. Matilda has grown up believing in Santa. This is what her parents told her, and she had no reason not to believe them. She believed in the naughty and nice list. She believed in the old man with the white beard, dressed in red, that comes at Christmas down the chimney or through the window uh, to bring presents to children around the world. And now she wasn't sure anymore. And so Matilda asked her mother, Mom, is Santa real? And to her great surprise, her mother said, Darling, we need to talk about this. <laughs> and as soon as Matilda heard those words, she knew what the answer would be. And so she asked, but Mom, what about the reindeers? And what about the presents? Where do they come from? And then it dawned on her, Mom, what about the story of baby Jesus? And what about the story of the shepherds? And what about the story of the angels that sung? And what about the Magi's? Are they real? And this is Matilda, and she's five years old. But is there anything about the story of Christmas that is true? And how can we be sure? Isn't Christianity just a crutch for the weak and for those who cannot cope with the reality and the challenges of life? Have you ever found yourself sharing your faith with someone and then see them roll their eyes at you? Have you ever asked yourself the question, why is the world so divided over the true significance of Christmas and the message of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world? Why is the world so divided on the good news that God loves us and has sent His Son to help us and save us? Have you ever gone through such a difficult time in your life that you yourself have started doubting whether you, you believe in God? We don't know for sure who Theophilus was. We don't know whether he was a new convert who wanted to know more about Jesus. We don't know whether he was someone who was inquiring about Jesus and had questions about him. But what we know is the reason why Luke writes to him. Luke makes this very clear to us at the beginning of his gospel narrative. Luke wants Theophilus to know for sure that what he has been taught about Jesus is the truth and nothing but the truth. Luke wants his friend Theophilus to know that the story about Jesus, his birth, his parents, his baptism, 
his ministry, his disciples, his teachings, his travels, his miracles, his parables, his sufferings, his death, his resurrection and ascension are true. Jesus was who he said he was, the Son of God, who came into the world to save and seek, to seek and save the lost. And Luke is writing so that Theophilus and us would know for sure that what the Bible says about Jesus is true. That's, what he's, that's why he's writing. And so our first point this morning is this one. Luke wants us to know that the story handed down to him is a story handed down to him with historical accuracy. That's the very first thing he, he begins with. Uh, the first thing that Luke does in this passage is to point us to the material and the sources that were available to him as he wrote down his gospel narrative. And like a good historian, Luke goes back to the eyewitnesses. He goes back to those who have witnessed the story about Jesus. He goes back to those who have seen Jesus with their own eyes and heard Jesus with their own ears and have spent time with Jesus. Unlike Matthew and John, who were eyewitnesses of Jesus, Luke did not have this privilege. He was not an eyewitness of the events that surrounded the life of Jesus. But for the sake of establishing the authenticity of what he's writing, he tells us that he has gone back to those who have been with Jesus from the very beginning. He tells us in verse 1 that many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among them. Lung wants us to know that he's not. He's not the first one to write about Jesus. He wants us to know that others, many others, have already started writing and laid down the groundwork for his gospel. Ralph Davis, who usually uh, writes commentaries uh, from the Old Testament, in his commentary on Luke says this, that the story about Jesus gave early believers itchy pens. And he's right. People wrote what they saw. The things that Jesus accomplished in his life, the things that Jesus fulfilled in his life, the things he talked, the miracles he performed, his compassion for the marginalized and the outcasts of this world, his death on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, his resurrection from the dead were things that the people of the time could simply not ignore. The story about Jesus could not be silenced. In today's term, the story went viral. It was on the lips of many people. It was on the parchments of many writers. And more importantly, it was forever engraved unto the hearts of those who not only saw and heard about Jesus, but those who believed in Jesus with their whole hearts. And if we think that Luke, uh, the companion of Paul, uh, is biased in his account and therefore wrote what he wrote, uh, Luke makes it, makes it clear to us that the things that happened, happened in public, before all to see. In other words, if what he wrote was not true, 
it would have been exposed by the general public. We should not make the mistake of believing that the people living in the first century were gullible and ready to believe anything and everything. Luke wants Theophilus and us to know that he is writing and organizing his work based on the reliable and trustworthy testimony of the eyewitnesses and those who have ministered in the work of the gospel from the very beginning, most likely the apostles themselves. For them, the story and message about Jesus wasn't only something that they believed in, it was a message that they were willing to die for. They were ready to lay down their life for the message. The message that Jesus is the Son of God. The message that he has come to seek and save the lost, even the worst of sinners. The message that he died for our sins, the sins of you and I. The message that he rose from the dead to conquer death and give us eternal life. This message, Luke says, is true and trustworthy. And they would have given their life for it. The story and the message is based on historical facts and is reliable. Luke is not, he is not interested in fiction. He is not interested in myth. Luke is not interested in fairy tale stories. He is not interested in hearsay. He is interested in what truly happened. He is interested in the eyewitnesses' accounts. He is interested to record what the ministers of the Word of God handed down, delivered to him. Luke is not writing to win a prize in originality. He is recording history. And he wants us to know that our faith is built on a firm foundation. Like the words of the hymn writer, How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say that to you he has said, you who unto Jesus for refuge have fled. And this is the confidence that we can have as well. The story about Jesus is grounded in history and in the truth. Christianity is not calling us to believe with our eyes closed. Christianity is not calling us to exercise blind faith. Faith is not a leap in the dark. It is faith in Jesus, the God-man, the one who is truly God and truly man, the incarnate Son of God, co-equal and co-eternal with the Father, who was born into this world, our world, with flesh and blood, and gave his life for the forgiveness of our sins. And it is one thing to know the facts about Jesus, but it is another to believe in Jesus, to believe in the message, and to allow the truth about Jesus to mold and to shape our lives. So that's the very, that's where Luke starts his gospel. He's going to tell us um, lots of things, but that's where he starts. He starts by telling us that this is a story that's been handed down with historical accuracy. 
The second thing that he does is that he's going to tell us that it is a story that he has examined with investigative care. That's the second thing he's going to say. The second thing that Luke wants us to know is that he didn't just receive the facts and the stories, he looked into the facts and the stories and investigated all that he received closely. He explains to us that his research was methodical and done with care. This is what he says in verse 3. So if you've got your Bibles there with you, I'm reading from verse 3. This is what Luke says. It seemed to me, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you. Do you see all the steps? Having followed all things closely from some time past to write an orderly account. In this verse, Luke describes his process to us. He says that he has followed all things closely. He has examined and looked into the narrative of Jesus' life closely. He wasn't there to see how the events of Jesus' life unfolded. He wasn't himself an eyewitness, but he has the reports. He has the eyewitnesses' accounts. And we know from the book of Acts that he spent some considerable amount of time in Jerusalem during Paul's imprisonment. And so we can imagine Luke following up the stories with different people. We can imagine him interviewing those who were there from the beginning. We can imagine him speaking to Mary. And I say this because Luke is the only gospel writer who is able to describe for us what Mary felt when the angel spoke to her. Not only what she saw or what was taught to her, but what she felt. Luke is the only writer to tell us about the birth of John the Baptist. Luke is the only writer to speak about the early days of Jesus' life. In fact, 50% of Luke's gospel is unique to Luke, to him, and found nowhere else. Of all the parables of Jesus, 19 are unique to Luke's gospel. How exciting this is. As we're going through Luke's gospel, there are so many things in Luke's gospel that you just can't get anywhere else. And of all the miracles of Jesus, seven are unique to Luke. Luke alone records the Christmas carol sung by Mary and Zechariah and the angels and Simeon. Without Luke, we wouldn't have this. And this is what Luke wants us to know. He wants us to know that he has done his homework. He has followed all things, everything. He has been thorough. He has been meticulous. He has looked at everything carefully. The historical material that was handed down to him, the sources that he had, the reports, he looked into them with care. You can think of an investigation, for example, or think about a royal commission into something or another. Or think about one of those investigative shows on TV. And here is an investigative reporter, and he's assigned a case, he's given a case, and he goes back to the beginning of the story, he collects information, he photocopies reports, he compiles emails and text messages, and he lines them all up in an orderly sequence of events. He asks for the, the digital uh, copies of the security cameras, he interviews everyone involved, and then he writes down his final report. The murderer is this person. 
Do you see the process? This is what Luke is trying to communicate to Theophilus and to us. The story about Jesus is, real, is historically reliable. The story about Jesus has been investigated with care. Now, if you are here this morning because a friend or a neighbor or a family member invited you and you have questions about Jesus and you're wondering whether this is worth your time or whether you can stake your life on what you are hearing about Jesus, then you've come to the right place and you've come to the right book. And if you don't have the book, there's a spare Bible there that you can take home. Luke is writing to give us certainty about the things that we are reading concerning the life of Jesus. Luke wants us to know that his account is accurate and reliable. This is not like the stories we tell about the tooth fairy or the Easter bunny. This story, the story about Jesus, has changed and continues to change the lives of people around the world. In this story, God promises to all those who believe in His Son forgiveness of sins, freedom from guilt and shame, the start of a new life with God, eternity spent in heaven with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It is a story that can radically change your life and radically change how you view the world and what is most important in the world. And if you are a believer in Jesus this morning, then you are most blessed. So let me encourage you to think about the story and significance of Christmas, not as something that we remember when December comes or once a year, but as a message that ought to shape every day and every minute of our lives, every decision. And therefore, as we go through the Gospel of Luke together in the weeks and months to come, let it be an opportunity for us to learn more about the character of Christ, our Savior, and so, so that we might imitate Him in our lives. Let us learn from the teachings of Christ so that we might live our lives in a way that is shaped by the Gospel. And as we look again at the parables of Jesus, let us remember that the principles and priorities of the kingdom of God are different. They are different from the values and priorities of this world. And as we look again at the mission of Christ, which is to seek and save the lost, may we too be encouraged to share the good news of the gospel to those who do not know Christ. So why not think about inviting a friend to church this Christmas? so that they too might hear about the true significance of Christmas, rather than for them to think that Christmas is only a time for presents and holidays and spending time with family and friends. And of course, there is nothing wrong with spending time with family and friends over Christmas. There's nothing wrong with taking some time off work over Christmas. There is nothing wrong with offering presents at Christmas. But if all that Christmas is to you is a wonderful meal, nice presents that you can unwrap, time spent with family and friends, if that's all it is, then I'm sorry to say that you've missed the whole point of Christmas. You've missed the whole point of why 
God sent his son into the world, which is so beautifully captured in this Christmas hymn. Joy to the world. Who has come? The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let all their songs employ, while fields and floods and rocks and hills and plains, they repeat the sounding joy. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king and let every heart prepare him room. And finally, Luke wants us to know that this is a story uh, written down with a purpose. The reason why Luke writes and organizes his gospel in the way that he does is spelled out for us in verse 4. Luke is writing so that Theophilus might have certainty. Not doubts, certainty concerning the things that he has been taught. In fact, the word used in the Greek language for certainty is the word asphalt. Now in the Greek, this, those four verses is really just one long verse that ends with that word, asphalt. Luke is saying to us that he is writing so that Theophilus would know for sure, for certain, that what he is being taught by Jesus is rock-solid truth. It's like asphalt. Luke wants Theophilus to have the absolute confidence that what he's being taught about Jesus in the Bible can be trusted. And it's important for us never to forget that even though it was Luke who collected the information about Jesus, even though it was Luke who investigated everything from the beginning, even though it was Luke who was the one to write things down in a coherent, sequential, and orderly way, following carefully all that he has researched about the life and work of Jesus, yet we must never Never forget that behind every writer of the Bible stands the Spirit of God guiding, directing, overseeing, supervising every word that is recorded for us in the Bible. The Gospel of Luke is not like a book that we pick from QBD or Dimex. The Gospel of Luke is inspired by God. Every word written by Luke is the Word of God. And Luke says to us that he has written and organized his work so that if Theophilus has any doubts, any questions, any inquiries about the story of Jesus, that he can look it up in the Gospel and have his faith strengthened, his confidence restored. And this is what Matilda's mother needs to do. Matilda's uh, mom, uh, when uh, Matilda says to her mom, is a story about baby Jesus true? Matilda's mother must take her to the gospel accounts about Jesus. She must take her to the Bible. And when we find ourselves overwhelmed and discouraged by the unceasing jokes and mockery of our non-Christian friends at uni or our colleagues at work, we must go back to the gospel accounts and go back to the Bible and remember that our faith is not anchored in fantasy land, but in a person, a real person, 
a real man, Jesus, who was both God and man. And he came from heaven to rescue us. And though our friends and our colleagues might laugh and roll their eyes at us, we should not stop reaching out to them with the message about Jesus. Because this is the best message in the world. And they need to hear it. And when we find ourselves alone in those moments of our lives when nothing seems to make any sense at all, in those moments of our lives when we feel like we're letting everybody down and nothing is going our way and the devil, and the devil whispers uh, to, into our ears that God doesn't care about us anyway, that he's not real. In those moments of our lives, let us all remember that it was for our salvation your salvation, that Jesus came and died. It was to make us children of God, born from above. Our true home is not down here. This world will pass away. We are citizens of heaven. And of this, Luke says, we can be sure. And so let me close up the sermon with those words from the hymn that we are about to stand and sing. And it says, Come, each one of us, come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the King. He, the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail humanity. In our longing and in our darkness, now the light of life has come. Look to Christ who condescended, took on flesh to ransom us. See the true and better Adam come to save the hell-bound man. Christ, the great and sure fulfillment of the law. In him, in him we stand. Come, behold the wondrous ministry. Christ, the Lord upon the tree, in the stead of ruined sinners, hangs the Lamb. In victory, see the price of our redemption. See the Father's plan unfold, bringing many sons to glory, grace unmeasured, love untold. Come, behold the wondrous ministry, slain by death, the God of life. But no grave could ever restrain him. Praise the Lord, he is alive. Let us stand and sing to our great King.